0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, Patricia Sanjin Tells Her Own Story, by Patricia Sanjin, with permission of Ten of Those Publishing Company, and we are on Chapter 10, Fatima and Her Friends. Little Tamu did not forget my invitation. She arrived next day, scrubbed very clean, and her hair strained back in two tight pigtails. Her face was brown and perfectly round. And her black eyes very bright. Marguerite and I called her the current bun. And within a few days, her friends started to come with her. And we found we had a school on our hands. But on that first morning, just her mother, Fatima, came with her. And of Fatima and her mother, Zora, I can freely write. Because they are both safe in heaven. Fatima announced that she had come to work for us and proceeded to tell us her life story. When she was about 11 years old, she was married by her parents' arrangement to a middle-aged man she had never met. Her little son was born when she was about 13, but she did not know she was pregnant until quite close to term. The baby died, but Tamu was born two years later and grew to be the light of her eyes. But her husband was a disaster. He was a drug addict, and practically all the money he earned was spent on the weed. He would lie for hours puffing away eyes half-closed, while his wife and his daughter dug for edible roots on the mountainside, or simply went hungry. They were hungry when they arrived, and I needed help, for by this time parents and children were surging in, and although I could hardly pay her anything, for our finances were stretched to the utmost limit, I suggested they eat breakfast and lunch with us. I never regretted it. Fantino quickly became the cornerstone of the whole work, She chattered to us in Arabic and taught us the culture and the art of making a good meal out of practically nothing. And the children loved her and confided in her. Patience came to the house unafraid if she was there, while the villagers opened to her homely down-to-earth presence. We had wondered how we had ever managed without her. From her point of view, however, we had some strange habits. Every morning we read and prayed together, and at first this was incomprehensible to her. Can an old cat learn to dance, was her attitude. But Tamu loved the gospel stories and gradually Fatima began to listen. That story about 5,000 people being fed from five loaves and two fish, for instance, that really made sense. And she asked for that one over and over again and began to realize that God sometimes answered prayer. Then one morning she arrived sobbing bitterly and furiously angry. She had gone home the night before to find an empty house. Her husband had gone to another woman and taken everything they possessed. Blankets, cooking pot, everything. And she had no appeal apart from the bribes and influential friends. And of those she had none. She sat for a long time cursing him and calling him names and weeping. She never wished to see him again, she sobbed. Then why are you angry? He's gone, I asked. I'm not crying for my husband, she replied angrily. I'm crying for my blankets. We shared what we could, and Marguerite stitched some curtains. The essentials of life were very cheap, and for a time she was, perhaps, happier without the man. But one day she arrived almost mad with grief, and this time there was no comforting her. Her husband had taken Tamu as a little servant. As his new wife was pregnant, and once again there seemed to be no appeal, It was not etiquette to visit the house of your ex-husband, and the only time she ever saw the child was at the well. These were miserable meetings, for Tamu looked thin and dirty, with sores on her head and her arms, and she cried to come home to her mother. And then the possibility of prayer dawned on Fantima, and she suggested that we ask God to bring her daughter back. To my weak faith, it seemed an unlikely event. The new baby was due, and little slaves of seven are extremely useful. But we started to pray daily. I cannot remember for how long we prayed, but it was midwinter before the answer was given. Winter in that little town was a dreary season. The snow lay thick on the mountains and pools of black slush gathered in the cobble street. The wind whistled between the houses, driving the sleet and the little shacks on the outskirts leaked abominably. The children in their wet rags steamed and sniffed round the charcoal brazier, but they still had to go out and beg. On that cold night of wind and rain, I was glad to get into bed and go to sleep. But I was awoken by a loud knocking, and I ran to the window. A woman stood at the door, bowed with some heavy weight under her wrap, and beckoning frantically. I went down and opened the door. Fantima almost fell through it. She flung off her wrap, revealing Tamu, gasping and coughing on her back. There was no doubt that the child had pneumonia, so we propped her up with pillows and tucked her in bed. We gave her antibiotics and cough mixture and a hot drink, and she fell into a restless sleep. And then Fatima told her story. Neighbors had told her that her daughter was ill, and she was lying awake grieving for her when the with the rain dripping through the roof when she said she was suddenly conscious of her presence in the room. She could not tell how, but somehow she knew it was Jesus, and he said to her, go and fetch your daughter. Fantima explained that this was impossible. It was raining hard and she could not go out alone in the dark and it was against all convention to visit her ex-husband. But the presence and the voice persisted. Go and fetch your daughter. So she got up and put her wrap around her and went out into the night. Arrived at the door, she stood for a long time listening. She could hear a child crying, but no one took any notice. In the end, she tried the metal ring, and to her amazement, the door was unlocked, and she stole inside. It took another long time to persuade herself that the house was empty except for her crying child, for at last she dared approach the bed and lifted Tamu onto her back. No one stopped her, for there was no one there. She hurried through the dark, silent streets to our house, like Peter freed from prison, wondering if it was all a dream. Her father never asked for Tamu again and the incident was quite easily explained. He had gone away for a night on business, and his wife, who was very young and foolish, saw that Tamu was seriously ill. If I am here when she dies, thought the poor creature, my husband will say that I am responsible. It would be better not to be here. So she took her baby and herself off to her mother's house for the night. But what no one could explain was the presence of Jesus caring for that child and restoring her to her mother, and Fatima did not try to explain. She accepted what had happened in a matter-of-fact way, and it was probably at that point she decided to become a Christian. After all, if he could feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, nothing would surprise her anymore. She grew fast. She had a real hunger to learn and to share what she knew, and at some point along the way, we started the women's meetings on Wednesdays. At first, just a handful came haphazardly, and I suggested at 2 o'clock, but no one had a Watch, except me, and they turned up any time up to 7 o'clock. Fantima loved these sessions, but I found them discouraging. The women were far more interested in why I was unmarried and what I had in my chest of drawers than in the gospel I tried to preach, and there were times when I felt like giving up. I remember talking to a friendly, smiling group and gradually becoming conscious of one woman only. She was a village woman. I had seen her before. But she gazed at me so intently, so drinking in all that I was telling her. I felt I was talking to her alone, pleading with her to understand and believe. I stopped and waited. Would she ask any question or show any signs of real understanding? She got up and came towards me. She started pinching me gently and feeling me up and down. Then she turned to the other women. Too thin, she announced confidently, No flesh on her. She'll never get a husband. But there was one encouragement. Ventima's old mother, Zara, was a water carrier, and she carried heavy buckets of water from the river banks, or from the fountains, and those who employed her paid her about two pence a load. It was hot, weary work, and she was always the first to arrive on Wednesday afternoon and the last to go. She would sit through the session after session, wide awake and talkative when the tea was brought in, but when the reading started, she would yawn loudly. Your words are so good they bring rest to my heart, she would say as she stretched out on the mattress behind the other guest. She would go fast asleep while I battled on in my faltering Arabic, competing with her snores. It was like having a noisy pig in the room, and it upset me quite a lot, and on several occasions I was on the point of asking her not to come. But to my everlasting gratitude, the Lord restrained me, and I never said those words. Perhaps I realized the tiredness and the drudgery of her life and what it meant to sit and drink tea and rest for just one afternoon of the week in a house that was a little prettier than her own. The time came when Zora stayed awake and listened. There was a new sort of brightness and energy about her. As she helped me wash up the tea glasses, I commented on it. You understood something today, didn't you, Zora, I asked. Of course. Now I understand. Since last week when you talked about me. Talked about you. I could not think what she meant. But then I thought back and remembered we had learned the verses together in the literal Arabic. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are tired and who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That was me and my water buckets, wasn't it? She questioned. I'm the only one who carries heavy burdens. And all this week as I carried the water up and down from the river, I said, Jesus, Jesus. And the buckets hadn't been nearly so heavy as they were before. I felt so thankful she had gone to sleep before I'd had time to explain that verse. I would have had to tell her that her sins were the heavy burdens and would have spoiled it all. Jesus met her right at the point of her conscious need, her tired shoulders and her aching back. He walked the rough paths with her and gave her relief. Later, he would teach her of the other burdens she had started to learn. Then something happened that turned the little trickle of ladies into a positive flood till there were three, four, five roomfuls, one after the other. Someone hearing that children came to the house sent us a parcel of toys, among them a clockwork mouse. It was a most attractive beast. You would wind it up, and it would set off at great speed, turning at right angles, rushing around in circles. I thought it would be fine to let it off in school after the Bible lesson, just before the children went home. Had it been a bomb, it could not have first alarmed and then amused them more. At its first glorious entrance, making straight for their feet and then darting around, they screamed in terror, leaped on the mattress with their dirty feet on my nice covers. This mouse had obviously gone mad or was possessed with an evil spirit, and some were in tears. But when I tried to allay the panic by explaining it was only a toy, they screamed the louder with excitement and joy. Again, again, they shouted, rushing to meet the mouse and leaping out of the way and doubling up with laughter. I had the greatest difficulty in getting them to leave at all that day. It was Wednesday, and a little group of ladies would stray in sometime during the afternoon. We put a dozen cups on the tray, but by 2 p.m. it was obvious that things were not going according to plan. More and more ladies were arriving, most of whom I'd never seen before. They greeted us smilingly, drank tea, and listened patiently to the talk I gave. More women were arriving, and I told them to wait downstairs. I was confused. What was happening? Was a revival breaking out? At the end of the first talk, I suggested to the first lot that they left to make room for the second. But they looked at me sweetly and patiently and said, We came to see the mouse. So the mouse performed again and yet again. He was almost as successful with the ladies as he had been with the children. They too screamed with alarm and laughter and jumped on the mattresses and would not go home. The ice was broken and they started to come regularly on Wednesday afternoons, sometimes as many as 40 or 50 drifting at their leisure between lunchtime and sunset. It was a social occasion in their drab lives, but for most of them probably nothing more. But occasionally one would come back, wistful and questioning drawn by her sense of need, so we started a little daily Bible study group in midday after the children had left. None of them could read, but Fatima was learning, and she shone at those gatherings. Her homely explanations were far more intelligible than mine, and she taught them to pray about everything. They prayed about the children, the goats, the rent, the harvest, and they experienced wonderful answers. She longed for her neighbors to hear and understand for she had the true heart of an evangelist. The Lord's presence was very literal and real to her. When I first read her the story of the resurrection and told her that Jesus was alive now and with us, she was extremely startled and looked all around the room. In matters of truth and honesty, I had to teach her. But when it came to faith, I was the learner. He was there unseen and could do whatever was necessary. Then came the time when I had to go down to the town in the valley. So I told the group not to come at midday the next day. Fatima looked at me in surprise. But we can come alone, she said. But none of you can read the Bible, I objected. It doesn't matter, she replied. We know the hymns. We can pray. So I left her the key and they gathered. I asked her the next day how they got on. Oh, we had a wonderful time, she said. They obviously had not missed me in the least. Tell me what you did, I said. We prayed, we sang hymns, and I told them a story. How many of you were there? She counted on her fingers. There were seven of us. I, my mother, my daughter, our neighbor, and two of her friends, and the Lord Jesus in the midst. Yes, there were seven of us. I remember catching flu and becoming really ill. Marguerite had to leave because the government had refused to renew her visa. But Fatima and Zora and her friends nursed me with strange herbal remedies, oranges, spaghetti, and small fried sardines. I had a very high temperature and no voice at all. And on Monday, I told Fatima to tell everyone the house was closed for the week, and there would be no school, no ladies' meeting, and no dispensary until further notice. It was Tuesday afternoon that she sat down beside me and broke the news. Two ladies from the village came today, she said, and asked when the ladies' meeting was. I told them to come tomorrow. But Fatima, I croaked, I told you I wouldn't be up for several days. I couldn't possibly talk tomorrow. Oh, but the Lord's going to heal you tomorrow in time to take the meeting, she said. I've asked him. Otherwise, those women will go back to their village and they will never hear the gospel. I can help you, but I don't know enough to speak of the meetings. So tomorrow you'll be well. I felt desperate and worried feverishly all night. I did not wish to be healed. I felt very ill and I wanted to stay quietly in my bed. My headache was worse in the morning, and my voice a whisper. Surely Fatima would realize that she'd made a mistake, and I lay very quiet and looked as sick as I could. She was very quiet, too, until 12.30, when she arrived with some spaghetti. You must get up soon, she said. The women will be arriving, and I must arrange the room. But Fatima, I feel so ill, and I can't talk. The Lord's going to heal you, I told you. I was actually laying in the room where the meeting would be held, so I angrily rose. I hoped I would faint, and that would teach her. But I didn't. As I dressed, the fever seemed to ebb away. My head felt clear and light, and when the women arrived, my voice was strong and normal. We held three or four groups that day, and there was no sense of strain or weariness. I was glad to go back to bed in the evening, but I had turned the corner, and I was amazed. Fatima was not. I told you, she said. Tomorrow we'll read Chapter 11. Thank you for listening and I appreciate you and I love you and I'm praying for you and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.